0: Welcome back to the Foul Balls podcast for February 14th, 2018. This will be the last podcast before the All-Star break. Uh, There will be a slate on Thursday, except it's only two games, so I'm probably not going to play that slate. I assume Matt's not going to play that slate. And, I mean, how do we do a podcast with two games? What do we talk about? Everybody's in play? So, just do, uh, we got this one here, 12 games. And I always say this whenever we have a podcast, whenever we have a, uh, a slate this big, there's no need to reach for plays so if if you try to put like every marginal player in your player pool for a 12 game slate you'll end up with like 150 guys in your player pool which is too many so we'll try to narrow it down to just whoever the real top targets on the slate and there's just going to be a lot of games to fade like first game on the slate the Miami Heat at the Philadelphia 76ers Miami's playing on the tail end of a back to back they're Backcourt rotation is a bit of a mess right now because they added Dwayne Wade to the team. And the Philadelphia 76ers are a top-five defense in the league by defensive efficiency. I think Miami is a pretty easy team to fade on the slate. And then from the Philadelphia side of the game, the Heat play at the slowest pace of any team in the Eastern Conference. And they're also a top-10 defense in the league. So I, I don't really think that the Sixers make for particularly strong plays either. Embiid is worth a GPP look because he's – 9,700, which is a little cheap for him, and it is a favorable matchup for him against Hassan Whiteside, who typically doesn't like to leave the paint to guard big men. So I think Embiid is fine as a GPP play, but nobody else do I think is worth rostering in this game.
1: Yeah, I'm with you. I think Embiid is worth having in the player pool, kind of only if you have a lot of lineups. For one lineup, I wouldn't even consider Embiid. Um, The only way that I would consider anyone else in this game is if, for some reason, Embiid doesn't end up playing if there's some injury that pops up out of nowhere, Beyond that, I, I think this game is just an easy pass.
0: All right. The next game we have is the Charlotte Hornets at the Orlando Magic. Uh, Dwight Howard, I think it's something that you had guessed correctly a little while ago, Matt, and that was with Cody Zeller where we're going to see a drop in Dwight Howard's minutes. And that's definitely come to fruition. Dwight was playing like 36 to 40 minutes a night when Zeller was out. And if you look at his minutes from the last few games, 28-21 he did have that 139 minute game but then 28 before then so for the most part it looks like dwight howard just going to be playing minutes in like the 28 to 32 range At 8200 i think that's a bit too much for him it's a really good matchup for kemba walker against the magic who will allow more fantasy points to point guards than any other team the issue i have with him is an 8600 price tag i just don't think there's enough upside in him at that at that price so i'm probably not going to be rostering him for this slate from the Orlando side of the game, uh, I think Kem Burch is a bit of a marginal play just because he's playing more minutes now and is only 3,600, but also not like a super strong play.
1: Yeah, I think Burch is someone to use if not a lot of value opens up. There there should be better value plays, though. So Burch might just be someone to have a little, little exposure to. If this is a bad enough slate where there aren't cheap punts to use, then Birch might be someone to have a lot of. But yeah, I think he's just kind of okay. Um, I think DJ Augustine is still a good play. He was pretty bad in his last game at pretty high ownership. And just two games ago, Augustine was one of the chalkiest guys on the slate at 4100 I think was the price. 5000 uh,
0: 3600
1: 3, is that all it was? Um, yeah.
0: The, the only issue I have with the Augustine is that the min- they're just splitting minutes between him and Mack now.
1: You don't think that they're going to share the court at all for any of the games because they did share the court for some of the first game where they, uh, when they were together. Did something change since then?
0: No, it's just that neither one of them like they're both they're sharing the court a little bit, but it's just each of them playing like twenty six minutes or so. So if you look at the last two games, uh, Augustine played twenty two minutes and twenty three minutes, and Mac played uh, twenty six minutes and twenty seven minutes.
1: Well, it. It does seem like it's been a trend for the Magic all year that they just kind of stick with whichever of the two guys between... Well, I guess it was even when Alfred Payton was playing, whichever point guard was playing the best would just stay in the game. So Augustine has that upside. If he's playing well, he probably will get more minutes. If Mac's playing well, he's going to get more minutes because I think that's what happened last game. Mac just outplayed Augustine and then was in for for crunch time. Um, But Augustine's cheap enough that I think the upside is there. I don't think he's too much of a reach that even on a 12-game slate you wouldn't want to use him. I think he has a pretty decent floor because he should play 25 minutes no matter what. And I think he could have that ceiling because he might just play well and stay in the game longer. Um, Yeah, it might be a little bit of a reach, but he probably is my favorite guy from the Magic.
0: Okay, the next game on the slate is the Atlanta Hawks on the tail end of a back-to-back in Detroit. I think that Dwayne Dedman is a fine play at 5,500. He started the last two games. He's going to continue to start for them uh, 31 minutes two games ago and scored 47 fantasy points. Then tonight, 28 minutes and scored 31 and a half fantasy points. Still in play for me at 5,500. The other guy who I think is in play from the Atlanta side of the game is Ursan Ilyasova, who has played 28 minutes in back to back games, also scored over 30 fantasy points in both those games. Still only 4,500. Earlier in the year, let's see, what did his price get up to? Uh, he was like mid five thousands. So I think forty five hundred, just with him playing close to thirty minutes. There's some value there from the Detroit side of the game. See, what is the pricing on Blake Griffin and Andre Drummond?
1: They're both pretty expensive now. I don't know that they make too much sense even in this matchup.
0: Yeah, I don't really think that there's anybody I want to play here. The other thing also is that the Pistons picked up James Ennis and Jameer Nelson, and they're both playing a decent amount of minutes now. Uh, Not like I'm not saying like 30 minutes or anything, except they're both playing like 15 to 20 minutes or so. And the significance of that is it just means less playing time for Ish Smith, less playing time for Stanley Johnson, Reggie Bullock, Anthony Tolliver, all those guys. It just really spread playing time outside of Andre Drummond and Blake Griffin now. So even though this is a plus matchup for the Pistons, I I still think that Andre Drummond and Blake Griffin are just kind of marginal plays. Blake Griffin's definitely too expensive. I I could logic using Andre Drummond as a pay-up guy, but Griffin is just too expensive for me. He's scored... uh, And basically every game that he's been on the Pistons, he's in between 38 and 43 fantasy points. So it's just not a lot of upside in him at 5000 and the floor is kind of high except there's just better options on the slate
1: yeah i don't really have much interest in the pistons uh D- deadman still makes sense he's going to be one of the higher on players but it's for good reason he's too cheap and he's starting he's playing around 30 minutes every game um i think kent bazemore is a little too cheap and the pistons definitely gave up a lot of their wing defense in the trade where they gave up a- avery bradley Uh, as one of the guys that left for Blake Griffin. The Pistons just haven't been winning since the trade. Um, They've given up a lot of points. It does seem like defense is the problem. So while at the beginning of the year we might have looked at the Hawks playing in Detroit as a bad matchup, I don't really think it is that bad of a matchup, and especially because the Pistons are playing at a higher pace with Blake Griffin. Um, So I'm a little higher on Atlanta just as a team than I otherwise would have been before the trade deadline. Not much of a boost to Deadman because he doesn't do much of his scoring in terms of points. It's more rebounds and block shots. He scores a little bit, but I think it is a boost to Bazemore. It puts him in play. Uh, Maybe not enough to put Schroeder in play with so many options, but at least Bazemore, and that might just be it because of how many guys the Hawks are using every night.
0: All right, next game. This is going to be a tough one to draw a conclusion on, and it's one that I think we could have a decent amount of value on by tomorrow. The Washington Wizards at the New York Knicks. So, from the Wizards side of the game, Tim Frazier, Thomas Sadaransky, and Marquise Morris are all questionable. If Morris is out, the easy value plays Kelly Oubre at 4,900. Overall for the year, he's been much worse per minute as a starter. But the reason for that has been that his usage goes way down. But now that John Wall isn't in the starting lineup because he's injured, I, I don't really think that the usage will be that much of a concern for Oubre. He actually started last game in place at Morris and played 39 minutes, scored 28 fantasy points, and his usage rating was over 20% in that game. So I think without Wall, Oubre should have closer to his normal usage rating if he's in the starting lineup. I don't know who's going to start at point guard if Sadoransky and Frazier are both out. Uh, If is out, I think Frazier is a strong play. If Frazier's out, I think is a strong play because those are the only two point guards on the roster now that Frazier's out. If both of them don't play, I'm, I'm just not sure what direction they'll go in. So maybe there will be somebody to call from the G League that starts. Maybe an unknown person starts. Maybe they just start uh, Bradley Beal at point guard. That'll just be something we have to keep an eye on for tomorrow. From the Knicks side of the game, uh, I think Michael Beasley's a fine play. It's 6,900. He's been playing a ton of minutes. There was like a fake not starting report that <laughs> – uh, that Hornacek for that last game to try to throw off the Sixers. Beasley ended up starting anyway, played 39 minutes, scored 34 fantasy points. He, he's going to be playing 35-plus minutes probably pretty much every game going forward unless the Knicks get blown out. So him at 6,900 I think is a really strong play. Uh, Ennis Canner 7,000, just not enough minutes security for me. I think Hardaway at 5,500 is a decent play. And then if Moutier ends up moving into the starting lineup, then he's worth playing 4,500. I think it's only a matter of time before Moutier is this Knicks starting point guard.
1: Well, I think you could also say it's only a matter of time before Moutier gets benched for just being too bad. Is that even possible? Or are the Knicks committed to giving him minutes no matter what? Because he didn't actually play much at the end of the game against Philly, um, even when the game was within reach, because I guess he just wasn't playing well.
0: Yeah, well, I mean, it's also Neil Akin isn't playing well. Uh and Jared Jack was out of the league for 2 years before before the Knicks signed to a 10-day contract at the beginning of the se- or a two-way contract at the beginning of the season and ended up guaranteeing the contract for the rest of the year. So it, it's not like he is competition from anybody and the Knicks are obviously also the goal now is to build for the future, especially with Porzingis out. So the guys who they want to get looks at are going to be Neil Aquina and Moody and at this point in time, anyway, Moutier is more effective on offense than Neal Akina. Aquino. Neil is a better defender. But I, I, I think I, I think that Moutier ends up starting. Well,
1: I think that Neil Aquina makes for an interesting GPP play because his minutes floor is definitely there. I mean, he had literally the worst fantasy game that you can possibly have against Philly the other night, where he had four fouls, three turnovers, and... Zero other stats. Oh, he got two rebounds towards the end of the game. So not as bad as it could have been, I guess. There was a point where he just had three turnovers and no other stats. Um, And even in that game, he still played 21 minutes. So I think Neil Akina in a normal game is getting at least 25 almost no matter what. And he's much cheaper than Moutier. So maybe both guys are in play. Maybe you use one or the other because the Knicks might just go with the hot hand of whichever of those two guys is playing better. They might keep them in the game at the same time. I think they've done a little bit of that. So I would probably play one of those guys with Beasley if you're sort of mini-stacking this game. But I think all those guys are at least kind of viable. Um, I'll mention one more Wizards guy. I think Jody Meeks could be the starter if, um, if Saturansky and if Tim Frazier are both out. And Meeks is, I think it's thirty eight yeah 3,800. If he's starting, I think he has to be one of the stronger value plays on the slate. But like you said, we'll just have to see what the injury report is.
0: Yeah, it's, it's hard to know. It is possible that they just start Beal at, at point guard and they go with Meeks at shooting guard. So how much
1: of a bump would you give to Bradley Beal if Meeks is the starting shoot, shooting guard with Beal at point?
0: Um Man, it's hard to say. Um I, I don't think it would change like I think that he's kind of a fringe type play anyway. Like I don't think that there's a ton of added value in Beal being the starting point guard.
1: Yeah, he's going to have the ball in his hands a lot regardless, and I guess he's a little overpriced regardless. So it's not, maybe it's a boost, but it's not enough to make him a strong play, I guess. Is that sort of what you're saying?
0: Yeah, I think I think that he'd be an okay play. Uh, I think, like, for this slate, he'd probably just make the cut for me. Uh, but still, it's I think the actual bigger deal for him would be Markeith Morris being out, because that would be added usage to deal.
1: Yeah, and then maybe added usage to other guys also. I don't know if Otto Porter and I guess Uber is in play. Porter might be a little expensive and there are a lot of choices. So yeah,
0: it's just, there's so many possible scenarios for them with, with those three guys who kind of play decent minutes for them. Questionable. So we'll just have to see what the injury report brings tomorrow. Uh, Next game here, the Indiana Pacers at the Brooklyn Nets Uh, from the Pacers side of the game. I think Corey Joseph is a fine play at point guard at 4,600. He is playing a lot of minutes as a starting point guard. I'm trying to bring it up right now. He's played – so here's – well, at least in theory, he should play a lot of minutes. He only played 21 minutes last game against the Knicks, but he also picked up five fouls. Um, He was also in – early foul trouble in one of the other games he started. So his fantasy output hasn't been that good, except his price also hasn't gone up, and this is a pretty good matchup against the Nets. So I do like Corey Joseph at 4,600. Let's see. Victor Oladipo, I think, is just kind of a fair play. It's a good matchup for Miles Turner, except he's just been so inconsistent. I think I'd want to see miles turner start to play better before i roster him on a 12 game slate where there's just better options from the net side of the game let's see we have i think d'angelo russell is a strong play 5500 i liked him the other day and i still like him uh minutes are trending up 25 minutes last game 32 minutes the game before that was an overtime game but he should be seeing somewhere in the range of 25 to 28 minutes and he produces well over fantasy point per minute, so good play for him at 5,500. Uh, and then I also think Spencer Dinwiddie's in play. I think Alan Crabb is in play. Uh, the Nets just don't have a lot of guys on the wing right now with Karis Levert out, with Ronda Hollis-Jefferson out. So those guys are all going to have to play a healthy amount of minutes for the Nets.
1: Yeah, I think there are a lot of good guys to use on the Nets. I think the issue with them is how many of them can you use in the same lineup? But there are a lot of games, so I certainly won't be stacking this spot. Um, I think just having spread around Nets exposure is the right idea because it is a decent matchup at home against the Pacers, and there are a lot of Nets guys who have high ceilings. So Deandre Russell is interesting. Jared Allen's had some huge games. I think it makes sense to just have maybe some exposure to four or five different Nets players because they all are playing somewhat secure minutes, but it's kind of hard to figure out on a given night which guy it is that's going to play 30-plus, and some days that's just none of them. Uh, so, yeah, I wouldn't have a net guy in every lineup, but I think having a decent amount of exposure here makes sense.
0: All right, next game here we have OKC playing at Memphis on the tail end of a back-to-back. The price on Paul George is way out of hand at 9800 now that Russell Westbrook is back. This is a tough spot for the Thunder. The Grizzlies have been bad this year, except still just it being a talent of a back-to-back, and the Grizzlies are playing at, let's see, I think they are the slowest-paced team in the league. Yes, they are dead last in the league in pace. So I'm fine with avoiding the uh, OKC side of the game. From the Memphis side, there could actually be some decent value here because Jamichael Green mispracticed today and is questionable with an illness. So if he doesn't play, then I'm going to assume Jarell Martin starts and he'd be a decent value play at 4,300. Um, outside of him.
1: Well, Chandler Parsons might be back, but I'm, I'm going to say that that probably doesn't have much of an impact. I wouldn't think he'd play that much in his first game back.
0: Yeah, no, he wouldn't. He hasn't played since December. And he was he was on a I mean he was only playing like ten or twelve minutes or so per game before then so I I doubt we would see more than you know a dozen or so minutes from Chandler Parsons I think Andrew Harrison is an okay play he did get in foul trouble last game fouled out the game before but overall just forty one hundred is really cheap for what he's been doing recently I mean just two games ago he's at five thousand and he has scored twenty five or more fantasy points in uh, six of his last eight games. So I I think at 4,100, Harrison's a fine play.
1: Yeah, I also think Tyreek Evans could be a decent play. Uh, The matchup is easier than you would normally think because Andre Robertson is still out, and that's probably the guy who would have been matched up with Evans. So it's a a good matchup at home for him against the Thunder. They're on the second half of a back-to-back on the road. Uh, Tyreek only played 26 minutes last game, but that was, I think, entirely because it was a blowout. So I think Evans has a pretty good amount of upside. His price is also a lot lower than it was before the trade deadline. He's at 7600 He got to about $1,000 more than that. So it, it looks like just some pricing value on Evans at home in a pretty good matchup.
0: Uh, yeah, I don't, I don't know if I would use him. One, one thing on Evans was even though he was uh, an 8000 or so player earlier, I've just kind of assumed that his three-point shooting is going to regress all year, because for his career, he's about a 30% three-point shooter, and he's been shooting a lot of threes this year and shooting almost 40%. So to me, the three-point shooting is just always, I've always expected it to come down. And I, I don't know, I just think 7,600 is probably a bit too expensive for him.
1: Yeah, I guess it might be. The um, it's It's kind of hard to quantify exactly the matchup how much of a boost it is with Robertson out because we don't know for sure that Paul George won't guard him. Yeah, I guess it could be a little bit of a reach. So it might be another guy that it's, let's see how much value opens up more in the player pool if value doesn't open up and maybe he just misses the cut if there are a lot of more playable guys.
0: Yeah, so we have Tyreek Evans for his career is a 31% three-point shooter and takes two and a half threes per game. This year he's he's shooting 39% from three and is taking five and a half threes per game. So that's where a lot of his extra value has come from. But the issue I have is I just don't buy into the three-point shooting at
1: all. Yeah, I mean, it's possible he's improved, but I think it's always safe to assume that when a guy has a really large increase in three-point shooting, that at least some of it is luck, and it should regress at least some amount. I mean, sometimes guys just get a lot better at threes all at once. But I think you're right. I think, Maybe he improved, but not to the extent that we've seen so far.
0: All right, next game here is the Lakers at the Pelicans. From the Lakers' side of the game, I think that Isaiah Thomas makes for a pretty decent play at 5,800. He is still going to be coming off the bench for the Lakers. But in the last game, uh, which was his first game with the Lakers, he played 31 minutes coming off the bench. He had a very high 28% usage rating. He's going to dominate the second unit for the Lakers, and I just think it's going to be easier for him to play without somebody else who requires the ball, like LeBron. So I think that he's a fine play at 5,800. I think Julius Randle's in play at 7,400. Uh, I think the rest of the 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 rest of the Lakers, I'm fine with just avoiding. Brandon Ingram, probably a bit too pricey at 6,700. I don't think the minutes are that secure for Kuzma or Lopez whereas I think they're much more secure for Julius Randle now, which was absolutely not the case for most of the beginning of the season. From the Pelican side of the game, I think that Anthony Davis is probably my favorite guy to pay up for on the slate at 11,600. He just scores six. He's scoring 60-plus fantasy points almost every single game since Cousins got hurt. So I, I think that without any real clear benefit to any of the top guys on the slate, whereas, like, there's no situation where we have, like, Harden playing without Paul or any of those. I, I think that Anthony Davis is the top guy to pay up for at $11,600. Uh, I think Mirotic is okay at 7000 and then uh, no thanks for me on Drew Holiday or Rajon Rondo.
1: So I'm definitely with you on Isaiah Thomas, but I do think that Kyle Kuzma does have more minute security because Larry Nance is on the on the Cavs now, and the Lakers just don't have that many big men. Um, I, I guess, like, Zubac could start playing more minutes, or they could just play Caruso and Corey Brewer more. But there aren't a lot of big men options. Um, the Lakers have Channing Fry now, too, or do they cut him after that trade?
0: No, they still have him, but, I mean, I don't know how much he's really going to play, if at all. Real The, the main... So Kuzma played a lot of minutes last game. They've played three three games since they traded away Nance. And Kuzma's played 27 minutes, 24, and 32. And the game against the Thunder where he played 24 minutes, he basically played the entire fourth quarter of garbage time uh, in a blowout.
1: Oh, you're saying the game against the Thunder where he played 32 minutes, right? That was the last one? No, no,
0: no, no. He played last game, he played 32 minutes against Dallas. But the game before against the Thunder, he played 24 minutes and basically wasn't in the rotation until garbage time.
1: Yeah, I guess you'd like to think that him playing well the last couple of games would have bought him more more of a leash and more playing time. But who the hell knows with the Lakers? Yeah, I guess Kuzma is more of an upside play then, because that does sort of sound like not the most secure minutes. I think Isaiah Thomas does have secure minutes, though, and Randall does seem to have secure minutes, too. Um, if you want more upside guys, though, I think Lopez and Kuzma would be the other targets. And then, yeah, Anthony Davis, it's just...
0: Yeah, um... I prefer Kuzma to Lopez. though.
1: yeah, I do too. Kuzma's only a little more expensive, um, and he probably has more minutes upside than Lopez does. And let me just check Drew Holiday's price because he's certainly yeah, that's just too much because he certainly has had that bump with Demarcus Cousins out. But yeah, that that's a lot to pay. And another thing to mention, uh, this kind of impacts Davis too, and I might be a little lower on him than I otherwise would be. Brooke Lopez getting more minutes is good for the Lakers' defense. I think most people don't realize that Brooke Lopez is arguably the best actual player the Lakers have in terms of wins and losses, and he is good defensively, and he kind of slows the game down a little bit too. So he's not the worst person out there to guard Anthony Davis, and I think he just kind of hurts the output for the Pelicans overall. Having said that, I still think it's it's fine to roster Davis and Meritich. I just I don't think they're as good of a place as they other, otherwise would be.
0: Is there a stud that you'd rather pay up for on the slate than Anthony Davis? Well,
1: that is the problem because I don't think that there is. Um, yeah, I don't I don't think that there is. But you could build balanced lineups. I don't think you necessarily have to go Stars and Scrubs. With 12 games, though, and all the injuries we're going to see, it probably will make more sense to go Stars and Scrubs because there should be cheap value, guys. So I think Anthony Davis would just make my lineups by default because there isn't a high-priced guy that I like better. I just don't think that in a vacuum, he's that strong of a play.
0: All right. Uh, next game on the slate, Sacramento Kings at the Houston Rockets. There is so much blowout risk here. The Kings are not good. Both these teams played Tuesday night, uh, but still we have Houston favored by 15 points. Sacramento, very prone to getting blown out this year. Uh, I mean, De- De'Aaron Fox, Fox, definitely a fade for me going up against Chris Paul if I had to rush somebody I guess Bogdanovich at 5400 probably isn't a bad play just because I think there's a decent chance that he would play in garbage time anyway so he would be my favorite play from the Kings from the Rockets side of the game uh James Harden Chris Paul Clint Capella yeah there's some upside in all these guys uh but once again I would just prefer to go to Anthony Davis if I'm paying up just because of the amount of blowout risk that I perceive in this game.
1: Yeah, there's definitely a ton of blowout risk here. This is as much blowout risk as there's been for any spot. I mean, close to it all year. The The Rockets are 15-point favorites, which is as almost as high of a number as you'll see. And the Kings might even be more blowout prone than the Vegas line suggests, because for whatever reason, they tend to be really high variants where... Sometimes they stay in games that they have no business staying in. And then sometimes they will be five point underdogs and lose by 40. I, I I don't know what it is about them. Maybe it's because they play different players every night. Um, I think Willie Cauley-Stein could be worth using though. He's still only 6,000, so not that expensive. It's a tough matchup against Capella, but if it's a blowout, he may not be going up against Capella for all of the game. So I think just price value-wise, Cauley-Stein is fine and... If this were a smaller slate, I'd probably stack the game for some contrarian value, but there's too many games to reach, so Bogdanovich makes sense. I think I'd use Colley Stein and probably just fade the Rockets.
0: All right, next game here is the Los Angeles Clippers at the Boston Celtics. From the Clippers' side of the game, I think DeAndre Jordan is a decent play at 7,300. Brought this up before, he averages almost 20 rebounds per 36 minutes with Blake Griffin off the floor this year. And he's played really well the last couple games. I think he's almost definitely going to be priced 8000 plus for the rest of the season. Uh, scored over 40 fantasy points in the last two games from the Celtics side of the game. With everybody healthy, it's just hard to target anybody on the Celtics because the minutes and production tends to be really spread out.
1: Yeah, I think the only guy I really have any interest in this game uh interest for in this game is DeAndre Jordan. I think we can just uh, I, yeah, the Celtics are too difficult. It's it's not a bad matchup, but the the Celtics are kind of just impossible to use right now.
0: Okay, next game, the Toronto Raptors, the Chicago Bulls. Tail end of a back-to-back on the road for the Raptors, so a little bit of a concern there. I still think Kyle Lowry is just too cheap at 7,400. He was really, really good tonight against the Heat, and... For the most part this year, he's been priced in, like, the high 7,000, low 8,000 range. So I don't think this is a terribly difficult matchup for him, and 7,400, probably just a bit too cheap. The Bulls side of the game, Chris Dunn is expected to play. He practiced today and is listed as probable. The issue with him is that he's going to have a minutes restriction. Uh, Hoiberg said that he doesn't have a specific minutes number for Dunn except did say that he's not going to play very much so that takes Chris Dunn out of consideration but then that also takes Justin Holiday out of play it takes Jerry and Grant out of play uh, Zach Levine at 7300 he's been a good play the last couple of slates and I do think he's gonna be more expensive going forward than 7300 just the issue I have with him here is that it's a really tough matchup against the Raptors so probably not in play for me
1: So what would the minutes number have to be for Dunn to leave all those other guys in the player pool? Like, if Dunn's going to only play 12 minutes, then all those other Bulls guys are still obviously fine. So I think, like, where would you draw the cutoff? Or do you think it's not even a reasonable question because we probably won't know the number before the game?
0: Yeah, I mean, I would guess he probably plays somewhere around 20 minutes or so. But the issue is those minutes are just coming... like Jerry and Grant, Justin Holiday, those guys have been playing like thirty eight minutes per game recently. And neither of them are particularly good players. Their value has just come from if you're gonna handle the ball and play close to forty minutes, it's not that hard to score around thirty fantasy points, even though it's kind of crappy per minute production. So at their current prices in this matchup, if we're gonna say that, okay, Justin Holiday and Jerry and Grant are both gonna play like twenty eight minutes now instead, that's it's a pretty significant drop-off.
1: Yeah, it is. I think this game would have been a really strong stack spot if Dunn was out. Um, It's the second half of a back-to-back for the Raptors on the road. They do play up-tempo, so that kind of negates their good defense a little bit. And the Bulls have had some pricing value without Dunn playing. But this kind of just ruins the whole game in terms of stacking. But I do think using Lowry, using DeRozan, obviously not in the same lineup, is still fine. Uh, I will check Serge Ibaka's price again, because he's still only around 5000 but I guess he just hasn't been very good recently, so that's probably a bit of a reach. I think, yeah, Lowry or DeRozan is probably ju- the move for this game, and that might be it.
0: Okay, the next game we have here is the Phoenix Suns at the Utah Jazz. A ton of injuries from the Phoenix side of the game. Devin Booker's questionable. Tyson Chandler's questionable. Troy Danis is questionable. Uh, it doesn't really matter for me because nobody on the Suns is particularly cheap right now anyway, and it's such a tough matchup in Utah for them that they're just all going to be fates for me regardless of who's in or out. From the Utah side, uh, uh, yeah, Utah side of the game, Ricky Rubio is questionable again with the hip injury. If he's out, uh, Royce O'Neal was really shitty last game except 4,300 to matchup against the Suns, and as a starter, he's averaging... 36 minutes per game. So 36 minutes at 4,300 against the Suns. I don't care how bad I think Royce O'Neal is. I think that that would still be a usable player. A, also a pretty sizable boost for Donovan Mitchell, who would be in play if Ricky Rubio is out. Uh, 7,900 is probably a little too expensive for me on Mitchell if Rubio does play that.
1: Yeah, we don't have a Vegas line yet for this game, but there's definitely a lot of blowout risk, which has me concerned with... I know Royce O'Neal is not that good, but I think he probably wouldn't play garbage time because he's a starter. Uh, if Devin Booker plays, that probably helps the Suns stay in the game at least enough that I'd, I'd like the Jazz more. But I think either way, if Rubio's out, then Mitchell and O'Neal are good plays, And if Rubio's in, it might just be worth fading the game entirely. Um, but if we're saying that Booker's out and Rubio's out, I'm a little concerned for Mitchell and O'Neal that the game just gets out of hand because this is a really awful Suns team. They just lost by, what was it, 45 points in Golden State, and they're missing their best player. So the and Also, the Jazz have been playing really well recently. I think I'd be light on Mitchell and on O'Neal, but I, I'd use them more if Booker's in.
0: All right, next game we have here is the Golden State Warriors at the Portland Trailblazers. For the Warriors, we have Draymond Green questionable to play with the finger injury that kept him out of last game. I think that outside of Anthony Davis is my favorite guy to pay up for. I think Curry and Durant are probably the guys that I like the next most just because their prices are so much cheaper than what they've been in recent games. And they haven't, neither one of them have had a big game for a while. But part of the reason has been because the Warriors have played in so many lopsided games. I think it's been four games in a row where neither Curry or Durant have played the fourth quarter. So I think Curry and Durant are both fine plays at 93 and 9,400, and it would also be a slight boost for each of them if Draymond Green can't play. From the Portland side of the game, we have Damian Lillard priced at 8,800. I think that he's a fine play. Uh, Joseph Nurkic is questionable to play at 5,600. I think that he's a fine GPP play if he's active. If he's out, let me guess, Ed I, Davis, I probably, right? Probably. What's that?
1: Oh, I was just saying Ed Davis. Yeah, very excited for this potential Ed Davis game.
0: Yeah, I would think Ed Davis starts at forty seven hundred. He he would be, a, I think he would be a very uh, good value play if he's starting. Uh, pretty easy to avoid if Nurkic is in now. Um,
1: so if Nurkic and Draymond Green are out, I think, and we'd also have to know that before lock because those guys change the makeup of this game quite a bit. I think if both those guys are out, then this is definitely the strongest stack spot. I think you could use Curry or Durant. I guess maybe you could squeeze them both in if there's enough cheap value, but Curry or Durant with Lillard or McCollum uh, definitely would want Ed Davis, but it's a big bump to Lillard and McCollum, I think, if Nurkic is out. Lillard actually sees a usage bump from 30% to 37% when Nurkic is off the court, and McCollum sees a usage bump from 26.8% to 31.5%. Nurkic takes up a lot of usage, and Ed Davis does not. So the whole dynamic of the Blazers' offense changes when Nurkic isn't in the game. And I think it makes Lillard and McCollum pretty strong plays. They're already kind of strong plays because of how fast the Warriors' pace is. Um, And I think most people won't realize the Nurkic impact because he's not the same position as Lillard and McCollum. So this game could potentially be really strong, but I think I like all these guys a decent amount anyway. So hopefully we get this injury news, because it's probably as important as any other game on the slate.
0: Yeah, it does suck that it's the last game of the night, Uh, but I I do think that this is probably my favorite game to target players from.
1: And it's the late game. It's the end of the slate hammer, so of of course course. it's the best.
0: Which obviously need to have that to, to win tournaments. I've been told on the, on twitter.com. Uh, so anything else to add for the slate?
1: No, hopefully we get the injury news. I think if, if we if there's a lot of stuff we don't know before lock, it might not really be playable so that that would be annoying. but there there is some potential. so hopefully we get it.
0: Okay, so that'll wrap up the podcast and we'll be back next week. I think the next basketball slate is not until next Thursday. So you can follow me on Twitter at DFS. Matt's Twitter handle is at Preaching Sense. And this is a vacation coming up for us.